Thank you for listening to Voices of Grace. I'm Ryan Peterson with the communications team here at Grace Community Church. Our goal with each and every episode is we profile followers of Jesus who are on mission and showing Jesus' love, whether that's around the world or across the street here in East Texas. And today, I get to be joined by Trace and Krista Hagler. Trace and Krista are with United World Mission, and they serve alongside Mexican nationals to evangelize and establish churches among the indigenous, uh, unreached people of Oaxaca, Mexico. I believe I said that right. Mm-hmm. Um, and thank you guys so much uh, for joining me. I really appreciate it. You've been back, what, a few weeks? Yes, about about two and a half, weeks. something like that, mm-hmm. yeah. And you'll go back in August, you said? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate your time. So before we get into um, what you guys are doing in Mexico and, and how God is working there, um, I always like to just kind of get your background, uh, kind of where you grew up and that journey for you to find Jesus, but where you got into ministry. So Krista, if you want to start, just kind of mm-hmm. a little bit of your background. Sure. Um, so I actually am from Tyler, Texas. I was born here. Uh, my family attended Greenacres Baptist Church when I was growing up. So that is my background and um, became, heard the gospel, became a believer. Um, I believe I had an encounter with with Christ when I was about nine or ten years old, um, actually at Pine Cove Day Camps at the time. Um, and um, But there was this time where, and when I was in high school, that I really began to kind of um, wander from the faith um, and walk through a season of absolute rebellion, um, you know, in, in many ways. And so uh, I just didn't see, uh, felt like I saw a lot of hypocrisy in the church, felt like I wasn't seeing a lot of authenticity. Um, and I was a rebellious teenager trying to figure out life. And so uh, wandered from the faith. And um, I, I guess we can, I'll touch on more, uh, maybe um, a little bit later, we it was when, once we were back married again that I really began to kind of surrender to the Lord um, in our my early 20s. Okay. Um, and so I think as we tell our story, we'll touch on that a little bit. Okay, Trace, how about you? So I grew up in uh, New Mexico, just a few a few miles from Texas. So it's more like a West Texas culture, okay. I think. Um, and also, I guess, just to say part of our story is like I'm, I'm seven years older than Krista, so, so we have a little bit of different generational <laughs> upbringings okay. but um <clears throat> so uh i i would say you know i'd been to church a few times at the, at the baptist church growing up my mom took me some not i did i wasn't a regular i wasn't i wouldn't call myself church i wasn't i may have heard the gospel but i not in any way that affected my life any um and i would say beginning at Maybe the end of fourteen, but for sure by fifteen, I, I my life was about as um, reckless as I knew how to live it, um, with about anything I could get my hands on, and that kind of um, I started college right before I turned eighteen when I was seventeen, and my life went downhill, um, pretty shockingly rapid rapidly um, as far as uh, my abuse of alcohol. Um, to the point that it was different than everyone else around me. And I, I flunked out of a school and I moved and flunked out of another school. Um, and then I, I guess to the point where maybe 21, I ended up in rehab, 30 days inpatient and, and that things just continued to get worse after that um, until I was um, 25 and I really had run out of all, all options before me um, for anything. I went home to live with my grandmother um, 
and during that time I, I started I don't know the hows or the whines, but I started um, going to the library and I would get get some books and I found a book by C.S. Lewis, um, Your Christianity. Um, I wasn't recommended that book or anything. I just that's just something I came across. Um, and I was pretty desperate at the time. I, I'd kind of come to the conclusion because I tried to quit drinking for the last two years, but I come to the conclusion that I was just gonna die soon in my condition. And I, something, I started reading that and some other books, um, but mainly that was the one that stood out was just like, I just, I think I heard, I just heard the gospel in a way that um, I just, it was like the person writing this really believes this. And I'd never heard heard that before. And, and so there was a process that's starting to happen up until that led up to um, very specifically one night when I was confronted by Jesus. Um, and I, I wasn't reading a Bible or anything, but I'd been reading some books that had scripture kind of intermingled in that and and he spoke this scripture to me and and it wasn't a thought I was having it was just clear everything was clear it was as he just said everyone who wishes to lose their life everyone who wishes to save their life will lose it and everyone who loses it for my sake will find it and everything in my life made sense I, I mean the gospel made sense my life up to that point made sense and everything changed at, at that point for me I mean that's when I that for me that was when I was born again. That's when I knew Jesus. Um, and I, the only, well, one thing that, that stood out the most was, I mean, I remember waking up maybe 20 days later, I got out of bed, I walked across the room and it just really struck me. Like I hadn't, I had been sober for 20 days and I hadn't even thought about it. And that hadn't happened in 15 years. Wow. And, and it was just gone. Um, so that's how my introduction to Jesus. Now, the way my life was still and the habits I had and the things I still did I, I probably wouldn't be accepted in most churches, but but to me it was like a life transformation, yeah. and I was with Jesus. Um, but I wasn't churched. I wasn't with believers. I was that was just where I got sober, and that was it for me. Um, so that was how I came to know Jesus. Okay, so within all that, how did you guys come to find each other, and then I guess get get connected? Like you said, you weren't with an actual church or anything. How did, how did all that transform? So I've been sober. A year and a half, I went back to college um, for the third time. Um, when I was 27, I went okay. to Texas Tech, okay. and that's where Chris, I met Krista because okay. she's she was uh, actually a year ahead of me in school. I started, I think I had about 100 credits that I'd filled out of school at, but I started all over with just, <laughs> you know, for, I'm a freshman, so that's where we met. So yeah. at that point, you you love Jesus. Though at that point, you're you're in school. Your life has been transformed. Where were you with the Lord, Krista, at that point at Texas Tech? Um, like I said, I had that foundation of knowing and walking with the Lord as a young kid, um, but had wandered from that. And somewhere along this path um, of being in college and leaving home, um, I just felt. Um, convicted i think i got afraid um i wasn't in a place where trace was but i was drinking a lot i was starting to drink more alone um and i got afraid of where i was going to end up and what my life was going to look like um and so i decided to quit drinking um and my my studies so i was studying i studied family studies with a minor in substance abuse studies and i started taking these classes i had to attend meetings and i had to um, kind of immerse myself in this culture of Alcoholics Anonymous and these things just to learn in my as part of my degree plan. And as I did that, um, I'm stopping drinking um, and 
and I met, that's when I met Trace. Um, and what I found there was um, an authenticity that I hadn't found in the church. Mm-hmm. And so, I, like he said, there was still a lot of sin. There was still a lot of things going around I- amongst that culture. Um, but these people seem to have found God and found something that radically changed their life. And so that was really attractive to me um, and beginning kind of a spiritual experience. But it was very still... Um, kind of vague at that point. I wasn't reading scripture um, yet. Again, I was just kind of um, exploring and trying to figure out what my faith was going to look like as an adult. Um, Okay, so then at that point, um, you guys uh, obviously grow close. You get married. Mm -hmm. Um, Were you at Tech at that time still or no? Was that after school? We got married. um, She had just graduated and I was finishing my last year. Okay. So we, we got married we had we were at tech for one more year after we got married mm-hmm. so um how did you guys get to east texas um and get connected to grace we had talked about um i'll tell our listeners we were talking before your story reminded me a lot of mine in that you weren't going to church and then your firstborn kind of mm-hmm. led that change it was the same with me and my wife kind of like what are we doing here i want to lead a family that follows god mm-hmm. so you have your first child and things kind of change there yeah Yeah, I I think backing up a little bit. So another key piece of our story is uh, we got engaged uh, around, it was Christmas, right? Christmas Christmas Eve. (laughs) Um, And then a month later found out that I was pregnant. Okay. And so my plan was to go to to graduate school. I wanted to go to law school. I had all these plans and I thought there's no way I can be pregnant, have a new baby and do these things. Um, Our wedding got moved up. Everything kind of got rushed. Um, and then we, we got married early April, went back. We were going to have our honeymoon the next weekend because we had a long weekend the next weekend. Went back to tech for the week. We had a medical checkup, and we found out that we had lost that baby. Um, at, so I was about 18 weeks at that point. Um, and we were brand new married, so um, Trace got to see lots of, <laughs> lots of emotions and lots of um not the prettiest pieces of me. Uh, it was a really, really rough uh, time for me and just kind of feeling completely out of control. Um, uh, you know, I remember wrestling with the Lord and that's where like my time of surrender to the Lord really came of saying, you know, I couldn't, I, I didn't want to have this baby. And by the time the baby was taken, um, I had kind of shifted in my thinking. And so it was very difficult, very painful for me. And I was really angry at God and didn't really know what to do with it. But I remember saying like, I'm really mad at you and I don't know where to go with this and I don't know what to do with this, but I know I can't do it alone. And so that was a a time of surrender. Um, I started picking up my Bible again. I started um, seeking the Lord again, just out of like, I don't know where else to go. And I had that foundation. So um, so that was a significant point for us. Uh, by the time Trace graduated, because he was a year behind me, I had gotten pregnant again. Um, going to grad school, doing any of that stuff was kind of lower on my priority list at that point. And so by the time we moved to Tyler, I was pregnant with what is our first son um, now. He's 20 now. And um, 
and knew I want our kids to know Jesus. That's really a high priority to me, and I don't really know how to do that on my own. And so I started pestering. Um, I didn't have to pester too hard, but Trace sort of begrudgingly came with me. Um, We picked out some churches, decided to visit multiple churches, uh, and when we came to Grace for the first time, we left that day, and Trace said, um, I think that's where we're going to go to church. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess that's decided. And so that's how we ended up at Grace. Yeah, it was definitely, at that point, it was Krista, like, I, I would have never made that move. I was perfectly fine. Like, I'm good with Jesus. I'm sober, and I have a job, and we're we're good. Um, and and my, my thought of church was, and I wasn't opposed to, like, the whole culture of church or anything like that but it's just that's just not my place i don't fit into that especially like my story in my mind was like that's it just wasn't it's like they weren't my family they might be cousins but they weren't my family like that's just not my thing and so she just kept pushing and and we we did we visited a few and that's back i think uh, gary was still brandenburg was still preaching and i Honestly, like that was my first step was I was there and I, I listened to him preach a couple times and I was like, I, I want to come here. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I want to, I, I don't want to join any groups. I don't want to be involved. I don't, I'll come here and listen and, and we're in church. And so, so we've, you know, got that's all set up now so we can move on, I guess. It's kind of, that's kind of where I was, but that's what I, I wanted to go to grace for, for that reason. How did getting, I'm curious, you're your thoughts how did getting connected though finally to a church how did that change your life and your relationship with jesus um so that it changed everything but it was real slow okay. it was a whole process and i didn't even know i was in the process when it was happening but it, when when the years go by and you look back you can see um because i it was first it was like okay we're going to go to church and then it was well, well there's let's let's go try a sunday school class and again i was like why like I don't that we don't need to do that and so finally it's like okay we'll go and I didn't say anything or I didn't talk it was just like um I can tolerate this but I don't know what I'm supposed to do here or what I'm supposed to say or can say and then that turned into a community group um and I, I would say a significant thing for me in that process was so we got into a community group finally um and and they were going to go watch the passion of the Christ as a group and it really just, I was convicted, I guess that would be the word. I, you know, I had been to sermons, and I had my own relationship with Jesus and all that, but I'd never just, like, read the New Testament. And so I got this conviction that I need to read the New Testament before we go to this, go see the Passion of the Christ. Like, I just felt like I'm going to do that. And so I started reading the New Testament, and and I read it before we went to this, to go see that. And I don't know, that's where it started for me. But but from that point on, this is before smartphones or anything, but I just had books stacked up around my chair. Like, that's all I did. I consumed myself with, like, reading and study, and and I was just kind of overwhelmed and consumed with that yeah. um, in a good way at that point. Yeah. I mean, it, it was all it – was, it was very quickly led to worship for me. Um, and, and that turned into after several years um, where we were leading a community group, and then I had this desire that I think I want to go to seminary. Like I want to go to seminary, um, so so that was that was how th- those started to that started to change my walk with Jesus. Um, the missions part is another segment to that, I think. Um, yeah, because that's a that. pretty that's a pretty big step. You go from you don't want to have anything to do with the church uh, to now you're you're connected, you're leading a group. 
Um, and then, yeah, how does, how does missions come into your life that you're like, we're going to do this? Well, like he said, he is a studier by nature and he wanted, was desiring to go to seminary. Um, and I actually had gone back to get my master's degree here at UT Tyler. So I got my master's degree in counseling psychology. He was the primary only breadwinner. I was not working. Uh, we were having little kids. So seminary felt really out of reach. I mean, it just didn't feel like a possibility at the time. And that's when you heard about uh, perspectives on the World Christian Movement, Uh, which is a class Mm -hmm. that Grace at the time, I don't know if y'all still offer Yeah, they still, they had it this past uh, semester. Okay. So Grace was offering and. Well, that, so that was one of the first, I think close to the first classes they offered, or it was around that time, I guess. But, um, so yeah, I I just saw, it just went in my head was I saw that you could go to this class and there's a certain level you could take it and you can get credit for seminary. So my exact reasoning, like <laughs> I wasn't, it was just, if I go to seminary, I'll have to take class on missions. So I can do this. Yeah. Like, I don't know where we go after this, but that's a start. And so I'm gonna sign up for this class. And I don't really still don't understand what happened or the process, but, but everything changed like literally the first night, something started happening. Like, and for, it was, I didn't know how to talk about it because I didn't even know what it was. But I would go home and she's like, how did that go? And I didn't really know what to say. And she could tell something's going on. And anyway, it, that, the class was maybe, what, was it three months or? It's like 16 weeks. It's like a college yeah. class. Uh, towards the end of it, I was like, I don't know what we're doing or what, but I think something's happening and going on. And I feel like this may be something that may be in our future. Um, and she was pretty clear like I thought that was going to be big news but she was like no I knew something was going on I mean you haven't you've been acting weird about everything (laughs) for for the last four months um but yeah our love involvement with missions was there was a point along this process where it was like I was we were convicted like we should be giving to missions so I'd go in and meet with the missions pastor who was Steve Rump at the time and he had all these pictures and stories of people up on the walls and it wasn't like oh this is like my thing it was like i just want to know like get tell me someone where we can give money to like okay. that's yeah. that's where i was yeah. it was like I, we should be giving money to missions right but that's where that started yeah and i think when he shared with me um the lord had just individually in my heart like there's a few there's a few specific points i really remember but one uh it was still while Gary was was here and, and preaching. He preached on the Psalms, did a series on the Psalms. I don't remember um, which Psalm it was, but I remember uh, his kind of call to action was, um, you know, what what is God asking you to do? What are you willing to do? And I had this just overwhelming sense of I need to fully surrender, and um, and I did, and I said, you know, whatever that looks like, I have no idea if, they, if you want to send us somewhere, if you don't, if you want us to stay here, whatever that looks like, yes is my answer, um, which is a scary thing to say to God because he, remember, <laughs> he remembers when we say that, uh, and that had been a year or two before um, Trace took this class, but immediately when he shared with me, it was like, I already said yes, so now I can't go back and say no, so if that's where you think we're going, then okay. Um, you know, and then I even remember a couple missionary families who had been ahead of us who um, were being sent out and really struggling through, like, that's great if God calls you to missions, but, you know, what are you doing with those kids, and how are you doing this, and aren't you nervous? And, I, you know, I kind of really wrestled with that. Um, and so 
that that's where I am again is I'm now he's feeling like we're being called into missions um I feel like we need to at least explore it and pray forward and move forward. And we've got, I think at the time, do we have all three little kids, two kids? I'm not sure how many we had at the time, but um, we had a really young family and it just, you know, it felt like a big, huge transition. And so we invited Steve Rump over to our house and said, this is what is happening to us, and we have no idea if we've lost our mind or if this is how God calls people, but um, we need we need some counsel. We need some wisdom. And uh, he began to walk alongside of us and encouraged us to go on a family mission trip, uh, which I think we did the next summer, and then uh, we're going to do it again the next summer. And so it was just taking little steps, just one step at a time. Um, I took the perspectives class the following year. Uh, and we just were praying um, in the way that God would lead us. So how did you guys, now, forgive me if I'm going out of order here, but how did you get connected with um, United World Mission and then mm-hmm. why Mexico? Like how, how did that all come to be? So so we weren't, as some people, I guess, could. I've heard people talk, you know, like they're called to a certain place yeah. or they're called to certain people. Like we weren't necessarily like that. We were just open. Okay. And so through the perspectives class, they have speakers come in from different, you know, missionaries or agencies. Or, and through that process, like, we ended up at a two-year training school on the border of Texas, Mexico. Okay. And so we made a lot of trips over to Mexico, like, just on the border, though. Um, and <clears throat> so we, we – that turned into us going with that organization. Um, and we had – the reason we were in Oaxaca is because – so at the time, it was either Oaxaca or Papua New Guinea. Okay. Like, which is that's just what it was yeah and we didn't know i wouldn't have answered that question like where are we supposed to go um but we ended up with taking our whole family just ourselves and we we went on a trip to oaxaca and then it's a two-year program and and in the middle of the summer we took our family to oaxaca to go to language school in the middle of that and we we spent a summer there and so that was that was how those connections started to be made and on, on that trip on one of those trips during that two years um we are our, our, our well we felt specific like as far as a call is like we want to go to unreached like completely unreached places yeah um i'd never heard of oaxaca before all this but th- um we ended up in oaxaca and, and there's was people down there and we ended up with a map of here's some villages up in the mountains somewhere there's no church and it was you know a whole nother adventure in itself like just to get up there and no one speaks Spanish there. We didn't speak Spanish, first of all, because we, we just didn't yet. And and they don't speak Spanish. They speak indigenous languages. Okay. Um, and we had somehow managed to, up in this village five and a half hours away from everywhere, everything else, um, set up a future medical clinic for like six months down the road that we, we, we were going to bring a medical clinic. And just like that was our foot in the door type thing. Um, so that was our first step in this process towards Oaxaca. And that was in 2012? That was 2011. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how did um, the language thing, how how difficult was that? Um, I mean, when, you know, they're not even speaking Spanish, number one. Um, how hard did that make, you know, getting things done and, and making an impact? So they, Spanish is all that we can really work in but 
you know, to different degrees in Oaxaca, they'll speak Spanish. But okay. Oaxaca actually, they have 16 major languages and 170 plus dialects. And most of those, they don't understand each other between the dialects. So um, there's a lot of, but most people there, they know they have to, they speak in some level of Spanish just to be able to function within okay. like the city. Yeah. I would um, say the the men tend to leave the village a little bit more often. So it's more likely that men and the younger generation are going to speak Spanish. Uh, a lot of the elderly and uh, specifically women are the ones that are only uh, native or indigenous language speakers. And so there is some Spanish there definitely, but in their homes they tend to speak their, I mean, that's their preferred language is their, is their native indigenous language. We found out later, so that village that we ended up in, which is the same village, that's our, you know, that's where we have given all of our time, most of our time as far as church planning or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Like, um, that particular village, we did not know this at the time at all, but the, in 2010, they had just finished a New Testament translation in that dialect. I mean, that's the first time anything had ever been written down in their language. Wow. Um, and that had been a 20-year work in process. And we just showed up years. on the end of that. Mm-hmm. We didn't know that at all. We, we found all this out soon afterwards because we, you know, knew we met the translators and we started to build some other connections in that way. But there's three villages that speak one dialect, and that's they're the only three villages that speak that dialect. Um, anywhere so and that was their translation so i'm sure there's a ton of stuff you guys can talk about but um krista i want to talk about you guys's work uh in the women's ministry um helping women in prostitution um can you kind of just talk about what you guys have been doing over there to help help women and and how you have seen god move yeah um well i think that we ended up transitioning um, organizations. We went with one and switched to another, and we went through this huge time of transition as our family. Um, during that season, some of our friends in this village he's talking about also um, were kicked out of the village for persecution um, and had an encounter. And so all of these things were happening, and I found myself kind of like, this isn't what we thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, things look different. So I started praying, God, what, how do I use my time? What are we supposed to be doing? If we're going to spend more time in the city, what does that look like? And uh, so in 2016, we, uh, a group of women were gathering to prayer walk uh, in the downtown red light, red light district. Um, and I was able to join them, to connect with them, and they invited me to join them. Uh, in December, we did our very first outreach with the women where we took gifts to the to the women. So that was 2016. Uh, we took out Christmas gifts and distributed them to the women. Um, and for a few years, we had no idea what we were doing. Um, it was such a learning curve, all of us. And in a, within a few years, uh, we had been praying this whole time that God would give us a, a building, a location. Um, our outreach, we had there was a restaurant downtown that would allow us to invite the women to come and eat a meal with us. And once a month, we would go down there with a little uh, TV tray <laughs> and some nail polish and paint the women's nails and sit out on the curb and paint nails. That was our humble beginning. And then uh, in 2019, we found a building downtown that was vacant. It wasn't the first time, but it was the first time when we called about the price that it was actually semi-affordable. Come to find out the man who owned it was a believer. 
Um, and God orchestrates those things in his perfect timing. And so we started renting. We renovated this this ministry location. It's just two rooms. Very simple, but it is on the street um, that we primarily focus on. There's probably 30, I would say, on in, any given day, there's between 30 and 40 is probably our normal number of women outside on the streets. Prostitution is legal in Oaxaca. Um, and so there's, they're not hiding. They're out on the streets. There are laws and guidelines um, that go with that that they don't always follow, but uh, it's very visible. And so we go out now. Uh, we try to go at least twice a week. Uh, when we can, we get down three times a week. Uh, and then during the summer, I'm not there this summer, but during the summer, we do some extra outreaches, medical outreaches, different things for the women that we can provide. Um, and our from the beginning, our heart has just been, uh, we know that we are loved and valued by Jesus because um, because we know him and we, we know that we have the scriptures and we know that these women are too and that he loves them. And so our, our goal has never been to rush in and save them. We're not busting down doors like people imagine sometimes. Um, that, that's not our ministry. It's the, the women are very visible. Um, so we go and invite them and uh, we go out. We usually take a piece of candy. We invite the women. We say, we're going to be here for this long. We'd love to buy you a meal. Um, and, and then we go and we, we sit in our little building and we wait for them to come. And so it looks different every time we go downtown. Sometimes one or two women come. Sometimes, you know, we've had 20 women in our building at one time. So it just really depends um, on what we're doing, on, on what's happening downtown. Uh, there's so many, there's so many things that we still don't understand fully. Um, the population of women that we work with, um, is a mix of women who are currently being trafficked and women who um, who are no longer being trafficked and just working in situations of prostitution. Um, but I would say that 98%, I mean, almost all of them were trafficked in the beginning. Um, so when you hear their stories, that that's how they were brought into uh, prostitution. Um, sometimes they're able to get out from under the trafficker and uh, but it's such a drastic life change for them to to leave everything they've known. Um, you know, at statistically, they say, and I we've seen it to be true. Women are brought in, are trafficked between the ages of 13 and and like 16 years old is the average age of entry. And so, if that's your highest level of education, um, that's all you've ever done since you were a little girl. Um, you don't know anything else, and so a lot of them stay. So there are so many things that bind these women, um, whether they are physically being controlled or they're not physically being controlled. Um, and even, you know, our, our perception of what it means to be trafficked um, has been shifted as we've been cl- up close and personal. I mean, we've met some of these men who are, they refer to them as partners um, often, and, and uh, it just looks very, very different. Than what I thought it did, um, and and it's a really it's really hard to understand. It's hard to make sense of. Um, in a lot of ways, I could talk. There's lots of stories. Um, in 2020, during the pandemic, um, the Lord uh, everything shut down just like it did <laughs> everywhere, right. um, and so the 
my daughter and I decided let's learn how to make earrings out of beads um, at home. And I kind of told her maybe one day God will use this in some way with our ministry with women. And uh, we had been praying that at some point in time we could start a business to provide a next step for some of the women that we were meeting downtown. And um, so we started learning how to make uh, jewelry. Uh, One of the women downtown called Um, called me one day while I was at home during the pandemic and said, I've got two kids um, and I don't have anyone to watch my kids. I can't go downtown. I can't work. I can't make any money. I don't know how I'm going to feed my kids. I need help. And, um, and because we had just started making these earrings, I said, well, I have an idea. And so we met downtown. My daughter actually at the time, gosh, I don't, she may have been 15, 16 at the time, went with me because she was better at the earrings than I was. And so uh, we went downtown together and met her and my daughter taught her how to to make the the earrings. And I told her uh, we bought her a little kit of beads and different things that she could do um, and uh, sent her home. And I told her we'll meet you know, in four or five days, I'll buy the earrings from you. And then, um, and then I can resell them. And so that's how it started. It was not this long planned out thing. I feel like we've been running behind trying to catch up the whole time. Um, in 2020, what last year, 22, um, we officially launched um, Amana's Hair Jewelry. And so now we have about five or six women who are working with us making jewelry. Um, And the interesting thing about that is uh, we've had women from prostitution at different times, different women. But um, we've also been able, our friends who were kicked out of the village for persecution, um, I was able to invite them and give them employment when they came to the city because they needed employment. They didn't know how they were going to live in the city. They don't, they do speak Spanish, but are much more comfortable in their native tongue. Um, and so it was a, a, a good fit that I could invite. So two of the daughters of this family ended up working with us. And then the mother was working on a contract basis with us, um, making jewelry. So we taught them how to do that. Um, and we've been able, you know, it wasn't our plan, uh, but it was God's plan from the beginning. We've been able to combine. Um, so we kind of say our target population in Amanasir is uh, women from situations of poverty, situations of trafficking, situations of injustice, um, who have had lack of opportunities and uh, for whatever reason find themselves in a situation of need, single moms, whatever that may be, and we provide dignified work for them. Um, while we do that, we walk them through a six-month programming time where they go to educational classes. Uh, we do Bible study every day. Um, we're able to share the gospel with them. So we've had these a few women who have left the red light district, but we've had women in need uh, that we've been able to serve since that time. And so we kind of have these two branches. Girasol, um, which means sunflower in Spanish, is what we call our outreach to women in prostitution, where we actually go out and meet with them. And then Amanacer, which is dawn, or, um, you know, kind of a new day is what we were thinking when we named it that, um, is, is the jewelry piece of that ministry. Um, and so, I mean, kind of a cool, cool story that God just allowed us to be a part of one of our more recent stories that we have um, 
we've been able to see God work. There was a woman we met downtown. I actually personally did not meet her um, while she was working downtown, but our team met her. We have about 15 volunteers that rotate um, downtown right now, and our team met her, and she um, she pretty quickly began sharing where she was, that she didn't want this life anymore, that she was done, um, and began asking for prayer. And our team came around her and prayed for her. It was beautiful to see the way they just surrounded her and served her. Um, and then she had an opportunity to leave the red light district and God gave her a place to go. And so she left and it was, uh, we knew she was getting close. We were all praying for her, but she called uh, one of our team members one day and said, I'm ready. I'm going to go today. And we were like, Oh, wait, wait, we want to, we want to see you. We want to pray for you. We want to give you a Bible. We, you know, so, um, some of our team members went down and met with her gave her a Bible. Um, and she left, it was actually in June a year ago, um, um, she left the red light district. Um, life circumstances are such that uh, in, I think it was April of this year. Was it April? Maybe not. It was this spring. Um, she reached out to us. We had maintained contact with her, but she was living at home. Uh, but life circumstances, she ended up in a violent situation and needed to leave her home situation with her two children. And she didn't know where to go or how to do it. So she reached back out to us and said, hey, is that job possibly still available? And so we were able to employ her. We found an apartment for her and her kids to rent. We helped her house it. We you know, just kind of served and came alongside our community in Oaxaca was amazing um, in providing for her needs. And we were super thankful to have that opportunity to employ her. And she told us, um, you know, if it wasn't for you guys coming around me the way that you came around me, I probably would have gone back because I wouldn't have known what else to do. Um, and so that's the most clear correlation we've been able to see and just showing up and being present for years. I mean, we 2016 to 2020, I don't think we saw anyone leave. Um, to our knowledge, there may have been people leave. It was just the continual showing up and loving the women. And in the last three years, um, we've been able to see a lot more fruit, and God's been really blessing the ministry. Um, and, you know, we say all the time, both at Amanasir and at Hirasol, if we can just nudge them to know who Jesus is and learn to love him just a little bit, wherever they are in their journey, then we're doing what we're supposed to do. And so, uh, you know, we don't view it as we need to save anybody. That's God's job. It's way too big for us. Um, but we just want to nudge them in the right direction. And any chance we get a chance, any time we get a chance to share the love of Christ with them and to share the gospel with them, we do it. Um, but we do it from a from a friendship standpoint and having these trusting relationships um, has provided the opportunity opportunity for us to do that. So um, that is what consumes most of my time now. Um, and it's been a really beautiful thing for me to see the way God merged our ministry to indigenous populations with these women. Because um, there was years I remember wrestling with God and going, you brought us here to work with unreached people groups. And that's not what I'm doing. I'm working primarily with these women. And you know, it, I, I didn't see the connection, but God knew the whole time and has kind of merged those things back together, which has been really, really beautiful. So, um, kind of want to leave you with Tracy in this time. Um, and I'm sure there's so much patience that has to be required because we want to see like that instant, you know, 
gratification like we mm. did something um how do you feel like you have changed your relationship with god has changed in mm. this time of you guys serving i mean literally having to die to yourself i'm sure there's been some really really hard days um how has that shaped with you um <clears throat> i i think i'm you know we've been there for 12 years 11 11 years yeah and some of it is just some of it's or maybe it's a significant part i don't know this is where i'm at but some of it's just realizing the faithfulness of god from stuff i just missed 20 years ago i mean because i I think one of the questions was um or that you had like prepped us with was like how has grace come alongside you yeah and what struck me like i wasn't thinking about it what struck me was like my first thought wasn't, well, since we left. It was like we were just like some young family with young kids. Like we just wanna we just wanna find a church and maybe a community group and just get settled and do you know, do life and go to work and raise our kids and that's all we knew. And and the way that God used grace and I don't you know, I don't I don't think there's I don't think anyone could come up with like a plan to move someone from here to A to B, but that's just how God used grace for us. It's just like recognizing like his faithfulness, you know, like through so many things of of just who we were. Um and and it's just a much more we just really recognize our need for his presence in a in a whole different way. Um so I think that's might be the the best thing about it for me is I would say is just like just recognizing, you know, the reality of our need for him, like in his presence. Yeah. Um like like when she's talking about a monastery and that's a business. I mean we didn't we don't know how to run a business. I mean <laughs> that it's overwhelming, you know, it's just like it's running a business. Like what in a foreign country. It's like yeah. we're not business people. We don't again, you know, it's and so it's it's just, I, I think what's really in my head at the moment is just like this this understanding of, I, I would say, if we're, I can see it, we're, we're, what we're doing, but I think it would apply to church, it would apply, it's just like this constant daily business of remembering whose work this is, and remembering who this church belongs mm-hmm. to, and remembering who this business belongs to, because it's so easy to take a few blessings and then just get out in front, because, oh, okay, like, I see how this is going now. It's like, no, I don't. We don't have a clue. Like the story she's telling, like there's stories that are like four years in the making and just to understand mm-hmm. that's how things are happening all the time around you. And and you're blessed when you get to see those things happen, but to re- also realize that even if you don't understand what's happening right now, you're in, you're in that, in one of those multiple stories, it's like happening, he's doing stuff right now, you know? And so just, just to be, have the, him bless us with his gift of even seeing a little bit of that. You know, just like of his faithfulness from way back when, you know, to now to, you know, whatever comes next. Yeah. Um, well, before you guys do head back uh, at the end of the summer, how can we as a church be praying for you? Um, what are maybe a couple things that that would you'd like to maybe us focus on? Um, well, our team in Oaxaca actually just launched the second round of programming. Um, so we are in our, since I've been gone, they launched the second round, which is great. 
um, so we can pray for them, for God's work. Um, you know, it, it really is a discipleship program, and it's a privilege to be up close with these women on a daily basis, walking with them, discipling them. So prayer, prayer for our team, prayer for um, just continued wisdom and guidance. Um, and yeah, we are looking to connect with a couple other stores to be able to sell our jewelry. I think we're selling in, uh, we have had a total of five stores that have purchased from us. We are regularly, regularly selling our jewelry in four. And so one of my goals this summer is to connect with a few other stores and see if we can um, just continue to grow in that way because every time that we make a sale we're providing dignified work for women and so it's a it's a huge piece of what we're doing um but we don't ever want to forget the spiritual side of it and it's so dependent on the way the lord leads us it's looked very different than i thought things would look um so just and then us as a family, I think just we just keep asking him to, to lead and to speak and to make clear um, what are our next steps? Where do we go? And so when we step away from the ministry for a season, um, that's one of the times God has consistently spoken to us and, and sent us back with a little more direction, a little more guidance. So we'd love prayer for that as well, just that we hear him this summer. Yeah. And and our I guess also our personal, because we're dropping our our daughter off at college. Um, two years ago was our first, our son, our firstborn, and then we're leaving him here. And yeah. and it's just, you know, they do things that we never did. Like this is a completely foreign country, and and now after twelve years, it's foreign to us. Right. But but we realize that more. It's like I don't know if, how hard it would be to come back here and make the adjustments myself. Mm-hmm. But we're just leaving our kids here that don't know anyone, and then we're leaving the country. And so there's that adjustment of how we have this new relationship with them. And also every time we go back like that, we have a new family dynamic, dynamic. with our mm. other two kids. Yeah. Now we'll be two now. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to thank you guys again for, for coming in. Um, just thank you for being vulnerable and, and sharing your story. It's, it's so cool uh, for me when I hear these stories, but to hear where you were and how God used you to just further the kingdom and the things you guys are doing uh, in Mexico and what you've been doing for the past decade. Um, We will definitely be praying for you. The church loves you guys. And again, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Well, thank you so much for listening. And again, please be uh, keeping the Hagler family um, in your prayers. Um, We do appreciate you listening to this podcast, and we have many more. Uh, Please listen to all of them. Great stories, um, and I hope it can convict you uh, in some way, whether, again, it's in East Texas. Maybe it has you asking questions. Should I be thinking about doing missions somewhere else? Um, But listen to God, and uh, hopefully he can use you like he's using the Hagler family. So thanks so much for listening. I'm Ryan Peterson. This is Voices of Grace.